Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. I'd like to talk to you again a little bit about Scientology. Scientology, often much maligned ideology or school of thought, but we have our inside man, Boba Fett, who spent a few years in the, in the Church of Scientology, and he can give us a little insight into what he learned about speaking authoritatively, also about dealing with past trauma, the auditing process, and also about the irony of not being allowed into the Sea Org because he was previously a sailor. So we'll get into all that. Thanks so much for listening to The Paradise Paradox. Remember to check out my new channel, Cryptonomics. Search for it on Facebook, on YouTube, and also check out Bob's page on Steemit. Boba Fett, B-O-B-A-P-H-E-T. So check that out. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Let's get into it. an opinion about Freemasonry? Let's go right back again, synchronistically. When I was in the Navy in basic training, uh, so I got probably 16, 17, maybe yeah, no, 16 or 17, um, one thing that we used to do, we were a captive audience, I guess, for local community groups for debutante balls for various um, girls' schools and, and so forth in the area. Okay. So, one benefit of that is I learned how to dance, yeah. uh, but I used to go to debutante balls. And one particular debutante ball was hosted by a Freemason group. I got talking to, I don't know, whatever, the, the Grand Pooh Bar, <laughs> whatever the official title is. Grand Dragon. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I, I did, I think, I, my initial reason for getting to the debutante balls, I was never really interested in dancing like that, but we used to get out of duties and get off the base an extra night because yep. under 18, under training, you're, during weekdays, if you have leave, we used to call it Cinderella leave, you, you had to be back by midnight. Oh. And on weekends, in order to have a weekend off the base, you needed a sponsor. It had to be approved by your parents mm. and... So that, uh, if you, without a sponsor, you still had to be back by midnight every night. Mm. And um, I had a couple of sponsors over in New South Wales. One was actually uh, an old friend of Dad's from Army days. In, um, uh, he also just happened to move to Australia and they kept in touch. He was on the East Coast and it was great. They actually lived out in Auburn and the Navy base was in Quakers Hill, which is near Blacktown. And it was great because he didn't give a fuck. So I just used to go around there a Sunday afternoon and he would just sign the sponsorship form to say, yeah, you know, I'd been there on a weekend type thing. I'd do whatever I liked, that kind of thing. But yeah, <laughs> cool. the debutante calls. Uh, oh, yeah, and leave during the week. It was only Wednesday nights. Uh, Wednesdays we had leave, but we had to do that by midnight. So an opportunity to get off the base during the week was was a good opportunity. So that's why I actually went to the debutante balls. Yeah. Um, it was never any chance of hooking up with the girls, like none at all. Why not? <laughs> Strictest of supervision at these things, uh, man. Strictest okay. of supervision. 
Um, I'm stealing a kiss. <laughs> yeah, like that that would be something you'd go back and talk about. Wow, I actually managed to get a kiss. It was highly, highly supervised. Right. Yeah, one of these debutant balls was run by Freemasons. And again, because I was still interested, I asked a lot of questions. And because of my age, the only way, because I was interested, you know, I wanted to know more type things. Yeah. Um, you, the only way you could get in under 18 was to be sponsored by an existing member type thing. And like, Dad was in the army. So I think it was Buffaloes, I think they were called or something. It was like a, a less cultish sort of fraternity ship type thing that was okay for, mm. for the army type thing. It was, it was all army guys type thing, army fraternity okay. or the Buffaloes. So, yeah, there was no opportunity to get into the Freemasons, but um, that was like my first contact, I guess you'd call it, with, with Masons. Mm. And then after that, in the 90s when I was selling insurance, one of the insurance agents there was a Mason and he invited me to come along to uh, a dinner one night and um, it was like, the only reason I couldn't go on that was it was such short notice because it was a tuxedo event and I didn't have a tux mm. and to, to rent one and you know, tow up, it was just, it just didn't work out type thing. But he stressed like the, the networking opportunities yeah. within as, as a fraternity and even though that didn't, develop anywhere that's one thing I, I definitely recognize both my time in the craft and the OTO is mm. the insider opportunity if a brother or a sister is in a field like um, and it's an opportunity you would regardless of qualifications or other things like you would you would get the position or opportunities were definitely available to you mm. within fraternity um, so the networking opportunities in these tight groups is, is real. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember one story when, when we were looking into that free man on the land stuff and, and how to behave in court and this sort of thing, there was one story that came up and a guy had some parking fine or something and he was trying to dispute it, asking all these questions and everything. He didn't think about it, but he had his little Freemason pin on his lapel. And at the, <laughs> not intentionally, but that's what ended up happening. The magistrate said in his ruling, he was like, well, I, I see you're a brother. <laughs> and he dismissed the case. So he didn't even, you know, he never even had to fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's real. Mm. Uh, then you got into... Scientology. When did you get into Scientology? Carpet call. <laughs> okay, I, fair enough. My first position as a salesperson there was at a store where the manager was a member of Scientology. He's stuck in a store together all day like he talked. So um, yeah. it was obvious to him that I was a seeker. I was, I was like looking. and But he didn't want to you know, dump the S word on me and scare me off type thing. Okay. Uh, just a little bit by little, this little tiddles, like you know, feeding pigeons type thing. You know, you don't charge at them and try and shove food down their throat. You just grab a few crumbs, and each time you throw them closer and closer type thing. Yep. And yeah, he definitely piqued my interest in some areas. And 
by the time he did drop the Scientology, it's like Amway type thing. You, know, you don't say Amway. Uh, business opportunity, the business. <laughs> you, don't, you don't say Amway. Like Scientology yeah. was very much like that. Um, by the time he did actually drop the Scientology, I already had a pretty good idea what it was. So he introduced me along and I went along to the Perth Org and they've got introductory level courses, um, like $80 courses or $100, 80 to 120 type thing. And there's lots of basic level courses. And if you've ever been stopped on the street to do you know, the personality test type thing where they um, try and get you to do a course and if all else fails, I'll sell you a copy of Dynetics. Right. Well, I actually went that, in there to, to the Melbourne org years ago just to yeah. try to sniff it out. They gave me that Oxford capacity analysis and I asked them, yeah. is this related to Oxford University? And they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, yeah, the, the actual new on staff one of the first things you do is out on the street personality test the people you're talking to and that really don't know much about Scientology hmm. but um, Dynetics Auditing I, mean, I actually have actually read the book Dynetics it took me about seven or eight readings because it is a hardcore read yeah well it's, it, it seems at some points it seems like the ramblings of a madman at other points it, it seems very clear and very sensible that's, that well, was most, my experience. Geniuses, uh, I mean, the, the word genius and eccentric sort of mm. go hand in hand, don't they? Right. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure Ron Hubbard was onto something. Okay. That, um, whether it was moments of lucidity or whether there was other things intertwined with it, there was, I mean, basically the, the guy wrote tomes and tomes. I mean, like the, the mm. library of shit that he wrote, like you've, You've you've got to have some clue to be able just to be able to do that. I mean, you can't yes. be a fuck and, and produce coherent stuff at, at, at that volume. Yeah, Dianetics is uh, that actually piqued my interest as a science because it works on a cellular level. It works on, on the dynamics of, of areas that I was interested in, and of course the the can test. You know, when you, you hold two cans and that, mm -hmm. like that, they have what what's called the pinch test. So like they get you to hold the cans and they just pinch you and the needle goes, woo. And then they go, okay, uh -huh. think about when I just pinched you. And the needle goes, woo. Okay, think right. about it again. Woo. Think about it again. Woo. Think about it again. Woo. Think about it again. Nothing. Yeah. So, it's like exposure therapy to your yes, own memories. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the, the, what they have is an engram. And an engram is a, a memory that has emotional charge attached to it. And because of the emotional charge, it's not accessible to the file manager program that sorts through and collects data from your memories. It's, mm. it's kept there. So the Dianetics process is designed to remove the emotional charge so that that memory can be filed away simply as a, a memory without any emotional attachment to it. Being an electrician in the Navy through the 80s, I immediately recognised that what they call the E-meter as a Wheatstone bridge meter. Um, mm. We used to use those for, for measuring electricity and also modern applications, lie detectors and, and so forth. So that there, was, there was enough there that, that interested me. Yep. <laughs> so I did a, the first course I did was, I think it was called Ups and Downs in Life course. It was like an $80 course. And I did a couple of courses and I... I to their credit, I've got to say, like they were, they were good. That, but 
for 80 bucks, I got a lot of value out of this. Okay. It's good. Scientology are very um, grammatically precise because hmm. we have a lot of ambiguous words in our language and Scientology has a lot of colloquialism within it to so that they are very accurate with what they're talking about. And uh, I've carried a lot of that forward with me since mm -hmm. then too. Like, for example, their word for spirit is a phaeton in the Greek. And the reason for that is because the word spirit has so many meanings in, in English language. that uh, So they're very precise with, with the language that they use. And what's, really what's the etymology there? Why is it theta? Like it's related to the letter theta, right? It's um, the, the root. I'm not sure the, the, the full etymology of it. The Greek root word for theta is spirit. But they oh, okay. Theta oh, fair enough. Spirit. Yeah, or etheric, I think is. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, is a more sort of relative English or Middle French deviation through to English yeah. from that. I did a couple of those courses and, and, and gained a lot from them. And bear in mind, like, this is the 90s, so I was in sales. So mm. you know, those kinds of sales back then, uh, the manipulation of the direction of flow of where the conversation was going was key in, in closing a sale. So mm. the, the courses were quite beneficial to me. And one of the, the first major course that I did with Scientology was a dual course. They sold it together as a package. It was TRs on objective training routines and objectives and the purification rundown. Sold as a dual package. Purification rundown was basically mega dosing on vitamins and sweating it out in a sauna. Okay. And I actually, through that process, got quite high, um, quite stoned sitting in a sauna simply um, through the detoxification process of you know, stuff trapped in your body at a cellular level being released, uh, you, know, you, you pee it out eventually, but during the release process, you, you know, it's, it's active, whatever these active components are, are active in your bloodstream. Mm. And um, the training routines was, was particularly interesting, and it's uh, what's called drilling, where, uh, I mean, for example, I can't, go too much into this because someone listening or watching this could be influenced by the, the strength of this, but um, okay. it's a set of instructions that you can give in such a way that not following the instructions is not an option that the person considers. Ah, okay. So this is something like in sales where you do uh, an alternative close, like I say, all right, so do you want to sign up with us for a, a free years of newspaper or do you want to sign up to get the discount? Something well, that's like a false that. dichotomy. That, that's yeah. a false dichotomy you're offering someone there. This yeah. is more, you're not actually giving them a choice. You're giving them an instruction that okay. it doesn't to them to not follow. Wow. And it's all to do with the delivery and the yeah. tone. In fact, Scientology has something called a tone scale. And tone mm. 40 is the top of that. If you deliver an instruction at tone 40, the, the person receiving it will always obey it without any conscious realisation yeah. that they've done so. So it sounds like something from neuro-linguistic programming, like, like uh, close, close. rapport, that sort of thing. 
it, it, it's an instruction. It's yeah. an instruction. It's, and the closest thing would probably be like from Frank Herbert's Dune with the, the, the more deep sort of thing, like when delivered correctly, I, if I was to give you an instruction with, with tone 40 intention mm. and in such a way that you would just do it and it wouldn't even occur to you that there was an option not to do it or that you'd even followed it unintentionally. Right. So we're not talking yeah. about like just somebody who was in the church and who respected your authority or something like that. We're talking like you could do this to anybody and they yes. would obey you. Yes. Regardless of the command or certain types of commands. If you can master tone 40, it would be regardless of command. But wow. whilst you're mastering that and your own personal skill level, obviously the command that you give and the person's belief would affect like you no know, for example yes. I might I might say um, you know, like you know, Kurt make me a coffee and you, that would be you wouldn't be a big thing you're going to do that where I'd say something yeah. like you know, go kill yourself and you're like you wouldn't right? so, <laughs> yeah. so there's there's that level of, of in that but true delivery delivery of tone 40 like yeah it, it's irrelevant to your, your belief it will always be obeyed and we used to drill those instructions and start with basic stuff like instruction might be something like look at that wall. Right. And when you deliver in that sense of the training routine, um, acknowledgement is, is very important too. Mm -hmm. So uh, you look at the wall, I would say thank you. Right. Or if you looked at the floor or you looked at the ceiling or you looked at something other than the wall, there's mm. no acknowledgement. There is only a repetition of the instruction. And this would be drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. And it's one of the uh, first introductory things that new staff members do for when they're out there in the public trying to get them in to buy the courses and buy the books and so forth. Okay. Um, but so there's definitely axioms within Scientology, like if you do this, then that, that are 100%. Wow. Um, but now, it does remind me of that scene in The Master. Have you seen The Master? I don't think so. Okay, so it's a movie based on L. Ron Hubbard. I don't think they explicitly oh, say that it's it's meant to be about him, but uh, I've seen the false prophet or the prophet or something. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know that one. This one has uh, Joaquin Phoenix, but there's one scene where Joaquin Phoenix is like the initiate into Scientology, and the, the L. Ron Hubbard or the character is telling him, uh, "Look at that wall." run back, run, run to the fireplace, run to the desk and this sort of thing. Watching it, it wasn't very clear what was going on in that scene. Yeah, so that opens up some interpretation. And um, the, the basic level is, is like level one, level two, level three, and, and you go level zero hmm. is, again, a key skill. Uh, you just simply sit across from someone, probably a foot apart. So you and I would be sitting across from each other in chairs just looking at each other. Yep. Level zero is done with the eyes closed. And it's just for you just to be comfortable, just comfortable sitting that close to someone else. Okay. And level one is with your eyes open. So we'll be sitting right close, like a foot probably, just look, chairs close together just looking at each other. Of course, the natural reaction to that is to giggle and laugh and, Mm. And, and yeah, you just to, where you could be one hundred percent perfectly comfortable and non 
not completely not in effect of mm. being that close and just making just basically staring at each other mm. um, without smiling, without giggling. And then it goes up to where you start issuing commands or asking questions. And like, no, I might say, you know, do fish swim? You can answer with either yes, no, or I don't know. They're, they're yeah. all legitimate answers to the question. Yeah. If you were to say anything else that is not a legitimate answer to the question, I would just repeat the question. Right. But if you would say yes, no, or maybe, then so I if I say, say why, why are you asking me about fish? <laughs> I repeat the question: Why yeah. do fish swim? <laughs> let's let's run this for a sec. See if it works. Okay. Uh, why, why do fish swim? Why, why do they swim? Or do they? You're asking. Okay, they swim I'll because. The why do fish swim? <laughs> uh, they want to get somewhere. Thank you. Why do fish swim? Uh, it's in their nature. Thank you. Why do fish swim? They have to get through the water. Thank you. Why do fish swim? They just want to. Thank you. Why do fish swim? Uh, they have the, the ability and the drive. Thank you. So in each of those responses you gave, they are actual answers to the question. So uh -huh. I acknowledge your answer with a thank you. But uh, uh -huh. you go, oh, look, this is ridiculous. How many yep. times have we been doing this? Why are we doing Then instead of acknowledging you and saying thank you, I would say, I'll repeat the question, why do fish right. swim? And right. that's actually like a, a, a running a routine. And mm. the gradient increases. And the gradient would, of resistance, because you're, you're practicing with, with a twin, as they call them, the yeah. gradient of resistance would increase throughout to the point. And then later on, you're actually you know, giving people like, no, touch that wall, touch that wall, touch that wall. And mm. uh, thank you. And to the point where someone say, "No, I'm sick of this," and you would physically move them to the wall, physically take their hand and touch. So you you're physically forcing them to touch the wall, and then you would say, "Thank you," because <laughs> they'd <laughs> actually touch the wall. Right. Um, it and you would sick. run. <laughs> you would run these for hours, but okay. it drops the tone for the intention. So, and like, you know, if you unwittingly, a, a person comes across you and you give them an instruction like touch that wall, they will touch that wall. I have no idea why they've obeyed you or touched the wall, but they will do it. And again, I was being in sales at the time. It was you know, quite a good course that I did. Yeah. And with my interest in the esoteric and background, I was a complete sucker for the uh, Star Wars saga, you know, the... The, the million, the, the sea or, you know, the, the, the mm. sci-fi sort of right. side of it. And we had a, a recruiter from the Sea Org come over from Sydney and um, did a talk and him and I had a chat afterwards and we talked a bit and so forth and, and I signed up and joined the Sea Org. Mm. And um, they booked my flight for me and I was to leave the next day. And, like, I got back home and... Uh, said to my housemate, who was also um, in Scientology, hmm. and uh, I've just joined the Sea Org. He's like, oh, wow. Um, what about your cat? I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I had a job. I was like, I, I, I was 
the um, recipient of the of this time for it. And I, I, I right. Signed so they'd the actually said to you, contract. join the Sea Org, and you said, yep. At some point, I'm I guess. Um, okay. Uh, I'd already sort of developed along in the company. Uh, I wanted, like, I had a very high interest already. Right. But, like they literally for me, and I I joined. So, mm. uh, and I remember like when I flew over to Sydney and went to the advanced org out at was it Glebe or Ride or somewhere out there, and um, spent the day there. But mm. because you're not in yet, like you can't stay the night with with the other org members. So they have like. Uh, a hotel halfway house type thing that's run by Scientologists and stay the night there. I remember like the line that, that uh, all I could think about that night was like my cat. Mm. I'd had my cat for probably eight years. This was Missy. Um, I had her for 15 years. She, I was actually at um, living at Link's Folks Place when, when she died. Oh. But um, And like, I hardly slept at all that night. All I could think about was my cat. And like that was probably an emotional tie that they hadn't got to or hadn't recognised or realised. And it was like yep. it was the last thread that I had that and I was, I was like that night, I was like, fuck, what have I done? Yeah. Because no, yeah. yeah. my, my cat was really close to me. Like she was ski. Like anyone came visiting, you know, she's off under the couch, like hiding type thing. You know, she was a real skinny sort of cat. And I think mm. like no. someone else said that they'd look after her and I'm thinking but like, it was the one thing that that sort of I still had an emotional tie to that thinking, what the fuck have I done? I've, I've got to get out of this somehow. Two million years or seven million years or whatever the zero yeah, contract billion, is. Billion years or something. Billion year contract. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway, the next day, so I had all this on in my mind and I had my auditing session the next day with a class five auditor. Class five auditor is, is a person who definitely owns their space. During the auditing process, like we went through some some of my background in the Navy and actually came up because of my security clearance within the Navy. It was like, oh, um, and the auditor went off and came out and I had gone and had a meeting with the, the CEO or the captain or whatever the rank of the CEO, but it's like, well, you actually can't join the CEO. There's, there's two things, I think, or three things that are really strong um, that you can't one of them is is if you ever take an LSD, hmm. some other psychotropic drug. LSD in particular, you cannot okay. join the Sea Org. And another one is if you've had a security, high security classification within the government. Another right. one is if because they think you're a double agent. Don't know the the full because probably you've already had a degree of brainwashing. So they're not, they don't <laughs> yeah, have to probably, just yeah. brainwash you. They've so. actually got to uncondition your previous brainwashing quite possibly. Yeah. But, you know, and, it's like they say, once a spook, always a spook. That's what they're worried about. Yes. And also the third one, and quite possibly for the same reason as the second one, is if you've ever had psychiatric treatment or taken psychiatric drugs, hmm. you cannot join the SEAL. So I got out of that and hmm. basically it was like, oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, lucky. Yeah. yeah. And like, um, okay, so I'm in Sydney. Uh, how do I get back? Oh, well, that's your problem. Uh, <laughs> I had no money. Like, I, I just left on impulse, you know, so I'm yeah. in Sydney, no money at all. Okay. One, one of the uh, 
ones lived near there was was kind enough to, to like oh I can drop you off at the airport. Okay. Um, so I, I made a couple of phone calls and yeah. actually my upline direct in Amway at the time I said look uh, I'll transfer you some cash. Yeah. So she transferred me some cash, cash cleared, and I was able to buy a ticket. And Sydney wow. Airport is not a twenty-four hour airport. They actually like close at midnight. Well, they did then anyway at midnight. Or so right. I was basically sleeping on a bench outside the airport um, when the security came on. I was like, "You can't do this." So mm. inside security wouldn't let me in. But outside, so outside security and inside security had a conflict of interest and. Duty of one, and yeah. they let me in. So, oh, okay. I, yeah, so I got to sleep on a bench inside the airport as opposed to sleeping on a bench outside the airport until <laughs> my flight the next morning. So that was my uh, my day in the Sea Org. <laughs> okay, so at, at that point, did they kick you out of Scientology, or are you still no. continued? Okay, yeah, just could not be a member of the Sea Org. Fair enough. And I actually got back to Perth. Because uh, before I joined, I was actually the uh, deputy executive director of the Perth Org. Uh, at that point, I just, that was the final straw for me. I'd had enough. And so they offered me all sorts of stuff. And they even said, look, we will train you through the training course to class five auditor. Because they knew that was a guy I wanted to be an auditor. And um, that was like, if, if they had offered me that, any time previous to that, I would have leapt at that. Mm. Um, but it was like that. So that was like the best that they could do at this point was to offer to train me for free to class five auditor. Mm. And I knocked back. And that was uh-huh. the end of my Scientology. Okay. <laughs> well, let me ask you something about, about that auditing process or about asking the questions and giving commands. So is it intended to be training for both people? or just for the person giving commands? The drilling that you do, you're both on the course. And mm. so when you do this particular course, you, you, you do it with a, what's called a twin. So mm. two of you must do the course together and you, you take it in turns for the drilling of the exercise, which is why you're able to increase the gradient of resistance mm. as you go further and further along. Okay. Um, the goal of that is for, for real-world application at the end of your course. Yeah. What you were saying about Tone 40, it does make me think about when I, when I used to do door-to-door sales. And in the beginning, I was very uncomfortable telling people what to do. But at, the, at, at my best, I would just be like, yeah, go grab your phone bill. Go grab your driver's license. Let's get this set up. And I remember saying to my boss, one night uh, I said to him, people just do what you tell them to. And and he's like, yeah, they do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they do. Blew my mind. They do. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely something to that. And just think, you know, you're spending four hours a day drilling that to go get your phone bill. Hmm. Yeah, well, I did. And, and through the course... And you, know, you, you also, with the way another benefit of training with your twin, reaches mm. a point where you no longer expect someone to say no. Of course, and that's yes. That's delivery of intention. When, when you, are, you just know that they're going to do it, it doesn't yes. even occur to you that they might not say no. They yes. don't say no. 
Yes, yes. If and you're worried that they might say no, they might say no. Mm. <laughs> but when you know that they're not going to say no, they don't say no. Yes. Yeah, people do comply with your expectations. It, it is very strange. I guess well, you have to be, Matrix yeah. and you know, statutory regulations and all the, the, the crap that goes along with the society is able to, to function so well you know, with so few in control of so many that they know this already. They, hmm. they know the data and, and they use it to their advantage. Yeah. That's um, true. Tax collectors in blue uniforms are just a deterrent that they've already understand and, and through the conditioning with, with media, TV, propaganda and so forth, that just it's just cream on top of the cake. But they, they recognise that, that generally people need instruction and especially yeah. the, the state of fear and the, the greatest fear ever is always the fear of the unknown. Um, people are hungry for instruction. So, but it must be delivered with the confidence, the, the authority, the, the respect for authority that's conditioned into people. Um, yes. You must be able to deliver yourself in that manner and pe people are hungry to be instructed. Yeah. It, it, it makes me think of the Milgram experiment as well. Don't know that one, man. Oh, okay. You might, you might be familiar. The Milgram experiment, Stan, Stanley Milgram, was the fellow's name, I think. He, he had this experiment where he wanted to see how compliant people would be. And he would tell them that there was someone in the next room who was going to be shocked with electricity. And then you had the, the participant uh, who would turn up the dial and Milgram or his, his uh, employee would be there saying, turn it up, turn it up. It is imperative that you continue. The experiment demands that you continue in this this kind of thing. And yeah. they found that I think with his experiments, they found something like 65% of people would go, would take it all the way. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. I do have my criticisms of that experiment because you can kind of tell like there's they're playing a recording of the guy going, ah, please, no, don't help, don't, don't put it any further. And you can tell that he's acting, sort of. Uh, so I can understand why people will be thrown off by that. But on, on the other hand, I find it very interesting that 35% of people refused. 35% of people will be like, no, I'm not going any further. That's it. You know, this is ridiculous. So I think that's does say something good about humanity, like they're willing. Yeah. So there are these people out there who are willing to say no when they see something bad happening. Yeah. I have heard of that. I just didn't know the name of it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you would have. What do you think the, the key lessons that you learned from Scientology? I think the most I've ever learned from any field, not necessarily just Scientology, hmm. is what the, the lack of limitation or your, your own personal ceiling hmm. is self-imposed. Hmm. Presented with some information or avenue, whether it ritualist, whether it's magic, whether it's divine will, whether it's training through conditioning, whatever the stimulus is, the fact is once you accept and can take on board that it is possible for something to happen, it can happen. So the mm. only limitations I've ever had on any field are self-imposed and they mm. 
are self-imposed through external force of education. Uh, it's a belief that has at some point been presented to me that I've accepted as real. Yeah. And all of my limitations, including the ones that, that are still limiting me, uh, that I, I still have to work through, I, I, I still believe that all of my limits have been put in place for some point in the past, whether it's this life or beyond, that mm. I've accepted as real. I've mm. believed the source of information to be real. I've taken it on board as an axiom and it's therefore real for me. Mm. And But each time I'm presented with information to the contrary and I can accept that, then that limitation is gone. Mm. And I think through the magical orders, through the craft, Scientology, all of those, it's enabled me to witness and accept new levels that have broken down my own limitations. Ganesha, uh, Lord Ganesha, the remover of obstacles. It's like oh. Ganesha is the, 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 I mean, it's interesting in uh, Hindus, like regardless of their chosen deity, like most opening ceremonies are, are first in adoration as a devotee to Ganesha hmm. to remove. Because they want uh, things to go smoothly. Yes, and but to <laughs> remove the limitations of your belief. Uh-huh. Are you going to do something like, will this work? But this, right. but that, but this. It's like, no. Nah. All that. So you're trying to remove your own personal limitations so that what you want to do can actually go as far as possible yeah. without limitation. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's, well, I think that's a good note to finish up on. Did you have any right. other anything else you wanted to say? Um, no. Um, but, but, you know, yeah, it's good. I wouldn't have even known where to start anyway if you hadn't been prompting me with questions. So, <laughs> actually, yeah, I think I'm we've got to add a lot of interesting stuff that's in your head there. Uh, right. So, of course, people can follow you on Steemit, steemit.com slash at Boba Fett. How do you spell that? P-H, like hip-hop, P-H instead of F. So just think Star, <laughs> Star Wars, Boba Fett, but instead of F, it's P-H. So B-O-B-A-P-H-E-T, yeah. Boba Fett. Great. So you can check out your writings there and you write some stuff about archaeology and you make some funny videos and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah, comedy, yeah. Spiritual academic, journeys and, spiritual, yeah. and sometimes just chewing the fat, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> chewing <laughs> the bum of fat. <laughs> yeah, chewing the bum of fat. great thanks so much Bob it was great great talking to you it was very interesting conversation (laughs) adios hermano what? adios hermano Ah, gracias hermano (laughs) thanks so much for listening to Bob and what he had to say and the Paradise Paradox remember to check out Bob on Steemit He produces some funny videos and also some writing about archaeology and spiritual things. So check that out on Steemit, Boba Fett, B-O-B-A-P-H-E-T. So check that out. Also remember to check out my new channel, Cryptonomics, Principles of Cryptocurrency and Investing. You can check it out on Facebook, on YouTube, on your favorite podcasting app. 
Stitcher, iTunes, whatever you like. Whatever you like, it's an open smorgasbord, open slather. Choose any podcasting app. You'll find it on there because you can get it on Anchor. So (laughs) thanks for subscribing to my new channel. Thanks for listening. Take care. I'll speak to you soon.